Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Uh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, a great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris. A man coming out of the shadows after a long decade working with Nicolas Cage, or as I like to call it, my cage wage world. Just some fluff and then some stuff on the party that unites us through pop and all things Hollywood. On today's podcast, we have Eric Barkay, who's a photo double and a stand-in for Bruce Willis on numerous films, and he looks like they were popped out of the womb together. These guys are identical twins. I cannot believe that they only met through a film set. Eric, I just want to say thank you for coming on this. Well, I appreciate you having me, man. You actually look exactly like Bruce Willis, and it's the strangest thing to stare at you, and to, and I can't tell the difference. Yeah, man, I, I hear it all the time, the, the resemblance, and that's kind of what, well, that is what led me to mm-hmm. uh, pursue that, that, that dream of mine that I had. So, yeah, man, I hear it all the time, man. It yeah. spooks a lot of people. Oh, yeah, it's spooking you know? me, like just right now, and I'm staring at you, and I've, we've been having conversations for days. And uh, just to see you and stuff, but you're such a different person because you are, you know, you're, you also have another business on the side, like you are a landscaper and you live in Maryland outside of Baltimore. So you have a normal life outside of the film work. Yeah, I'm just a down to earth, normal dude, man. I mean, I work with my hands and, you know, labor and I've I've been in the uh, landscaping field for about 30 years now. And that's what I do. I'm just a down to earth type of guy. Well, most guys who are standing or or photo doubles or or stunt guys and you do some stunts as well uh, are pretty down to earth they are you know it's it's not a uh, it's not a fluffy business you know in that nature I mean I kind of broke the rules because I'm kind of like that fluff and fold kind of guy and <laughs> I think I'm like the only euro trash stand-in in Hollywood <laughs> who kind of commands uh, euros versus American dollars right, right. well that's all done but uh, I just want to tell people how we kind of connected because I've got the brand now going on Instagram and it's all been set up and I've you know there's thousands of followers and it's been done through a social media person and uh and it and it caters to the film that I've done which is that the very short documentary about my cage wage world uh called Uncage a Sand and Story and your buddies um clicked onto it and got you um hooked up onto my onto my Instagram and then you you contacted me mm-hmm. and so I thought that was very cool and your buddies are from the Expendables yeah we got this group man um, tell me back in I think it was 2012. Found out about this film. Sent you know sent him a, a picture of me and Bruce or whatever. And so I got a you know I got a I got a call back from him. And so anyway, I go down to um, um, Louisiana. We filmed filmed a, a movie hmm. called the the Starving Games, which is a spoof of the film The Hunger Games. <laughs> so they brought in all these expendable lookalikes for this particular scene, and they had a Sly lookalike and Arnold, Jason Stay. Them, Chuck Norris, and um, and then of course Bruce, and then a couple of the other lesser expendable guys mm-hmm. um, that they brought in. So anyway, I met these guys, the you know the the Arnold and the and the Sly Sly guy and 
Latham guy, and and we all hit it off. I mean, we shot this film. Um, we did our scene. We had a great time uh, filming the scenes that we did, and and then. Uh, well, let me in- ask you: Was that a feature film that you yeah. guys did, or was it a yeah. short? Really, it was a feature film. Yeah. So, did you guys did they write the script and, and yeah they, they and, wrote what, the script and the budget and so forth? I mean, it sounds like it's pretty elaborate. Yeah, I mean, who's they, funding this? It, it, it was two brothers, and I, I can't think of their name off the top of my head right now but um they did a lot of well only comedy type spoof movies oh okay that sounds like fun and yeah it was i mean it was it was hilarious man we you know we all got in character and you know you you can pull it up sometime any of the listeners out there on youtube just uh check out the expendable scene of the the uh the starving games so of the starving games starving games yeah so (laughs) it's it's a it's a cool scene man i mean we it's these two you know the two kids uh, from the film uh-huh. can't miss is what they call her <laughs> so we kind of walk up on them out in the field and you know big intimidating dudes uh-huh. were all strapped with all different types of arsenal and just like the expendables Jesus. you know so it's a funny scene man they end up mowing us down and <laughs> you know one little kid mows the whole expendables down and i mean we had a great time but anyway we all of us expendable guys we kept in touch after the film and and we ended up doing a couple of commercials and mm-hmm. um i've had a bunch of look-alike type gigs with mainly the uh stallone guy mm-hmm. so he and i have become really close uh jade roberts mm-hmm. is his name and he's a professional uh um sly impersonator yeah he looks exactly like sly and he sounds like him too so wow. i mean when people hear his voice they all you know people get kind of freaked out like oh sly is here but uh- <laughs> the only difference between him and sly is there's a little bit of a height difference mm-hmm. so but as far as his his mannerisms and his expressions and the way he sounds he sounds just like him that i mean that sounds cool it sounds like a fun group i could never be in that group because the truth is i don't really look like nick cage i kind of look like the euro trash version <laughs> of him if there was one. i'm a cross well, between a baldwin and a cage and now i'm just photos, in my own man and and some of them i think you resemble him yeah but that's what yeah. hair makeup wardrobe does well, and that's, that's what exactly. i was on yeah. set so my whole thing was when I'm on set just like you but you look exactly like Bruce Willis at any given time when you're on set I try to be that guy like you do but I have to really change my hair color my attitude put wigs on put lifts on put padded shoulders get into that entire thing put all kinds of makeup on to actually look like him believe it or not because you you can see right now you would never think you know that I ever work for the guy right because I right. look so different but it's again and that's that attitude and it's dying your hair and getting yourself together because you're on camera as him or with him and you just do your job and then when you go home you kind of derobe mm-hmm. but you you would be harassed all day which I'm sure you are yeah it's it's crazy man I mean when I get on the set with Bruce like I said well you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. y- you know that most of the time the stand-in will go on the set first yes you know Br- Br- Bruce is chilling w- you know waiting for them to call first team and of course they call us second team or whatever yeah. Um, so yeah I mean, when I walk, I've walked on a bunch of sets, man, and it's like, 
people were looking at me like, I, I didn't know Bruce was here yet. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I tried just like you, you, you got to get into that, you know, uh, character and whatever mm-hmm. it is he, he's doing, you know, for the film. And I, I don't sound like Bruce, mm-hmm. but I, I have the mannerisms. So, yeah, I have the same expressions. And so it does freak a lot of people out, man. Yeah. But I can see you kind of sounding like him easily. Uh, like I, I kind of like mimic Nick in certain fun scenes, you know, with with his draw, but uh, I only do it just just to play around and you know to do it in certain scenes and just for fun. Right, but outside right. of that, you know, we are our own people. Uh-huh. But uh, I so we both live in our own city, so we don't. I mean, I used to live in LA for many years. That was prior to meeting Nick Cage when I was that starving actor wannabe way back in my twenties and early thirties, and then I moved back home and I actually met Nick Cage here uh, in Toronto, in Niagara on the Lake uh, by Niagara Falls, believe it or not, on a film mm-hmm. way back in. 1994, uh, Eric. And so I had kind of given up the business, kind of like you have also in your past. I gave it all up and I was working back in a restaurant. And then I went for an audition because I needed extra money for as a standing gig for Nick Cage. And it was here. So I was all dumb with the Hollywood thing. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to make it. I just, I suck. I had a green card. So that was kind of like my ticket back. Now right. it's a passport. Yeah. But um, so I could always come and go. But uh, that's where I met him. And that's when our, um, you know, working relationship began was right here. And from that point on, I started to work with him into New York and into Los Angeles and Vegas and so forth and so forth. And it lasted a very consecutive, long 10 years, Mm -hmm. 10 years with really no break. It's just endless amount of films and and, and all kinds of crazy stuff in between that and the travel. But your story is is a little different. Also, you'd never really lived in LA. You've always lived in Maryland, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm born and raised here in Maryland. I actually live uh, in between D.C. and Baltimore. Okay. It's, it's a town called Columbia, okay. Maryland. And Columbia, Maryland is like one of the only planned cities in the whole country. Columbia is a real interesting town, man. It's it's uh, It's got a lot of greenery, a lot of bike paths and stuff like that that run through the whole city. So you can kind of get to one side of town to the other in 10 minutes. Well, it's not a big city. So it's what, like 100,000 people? It may be a little more, but yeah, it's not that big of a city. And the kind of a cool thing is the actor Edward Norton, uh-huh. his grandfather is the founder of Columbia. No. So his name was Jim Rouse. He's he's deceased. Uh, but yeah, he was the founder. He's the, he's the one that had uh, created Columbia. So yeah, that's where I'm at. The whole film industry, you know, it's kind of, if you want to venture into that topic. Oh yeah, yeah. Venture into, into all of that stuff because I'm, I'm still curious as to how it started for you and and. and you kind of came and you went uh, and so forth, but you never left your home home. Like you were grounded always. Like this is home and I'm going to go and work somewhere else, but this is home. Yeah, it was kind of interesting for me, Marco, because I think it was about 98, 99 people started saying, when I had some hair. Yeah. Not much, but I had a little bit. Yeah, it's okay. You look Not good. Not as nice as yours, but I mean, it, I had yeah. a little bit. But um, the, Listen, that's the only thing I've got going for me <laughs> is my claim to fame. It's this damn fucking mob. I have. <laughs> it's all about the do, I'm it's telling you. It's still working, man. I it mean, is. There's, there's days, dude, when I wish I had a head full of air, man. <laughs> 
But, I feel like Wayne Newton with the color and all. <laughs> and my wife used to be a hairdresser, so I mean, you know, she could she could fix you up, man. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, probably about ninety nine people started saying, "Man, you look like Bruce. You look like Willis. You need to you need to do something with him." And you know, so I was thinking that's pretty cool to look like him because I've always mm-hmm. been a fan of his, mm-hmm. especially the Die Hard films. And you know, he was actually one of my favorite actors. So mm-hmm. you know. It just it's kind of funny because it started kind of, you know, the more people said it to me, you know, would say it to me, rather, the more it would kind of stoke the fire. And then it started, you know, growing. And then I then it turned into a dream because I knew I had this look, but I didn't know how to cash, not cash in on it, but get the opportunity um, to to work with Bruce. And this is back before all the Internet crap. And, you know, you know, you had to get your eight by ten. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about? Oh, yeah. Believe me, I know. Eight by ten little letter postage stamps. Yeah, spend a zillion dollars on them. Right, and I mean, I'm sure everything I sent out to people it ended up in the garbage can. You know what I mean? So, except for one time, I did get a call. I sent some pictures out. You know, you didn't have the internet to get on there. Google addresses. I I was in the phone book. That's how I was looking through. But see, Maryland doesn't really have a big film industry. Mm-hmm. We've we've had some cool things here. A lot of good movies and a lot of good shows have been filmed here, but it's nothing like L.A. or New York. Yeah. Or even the Hollywood of the South or Toronto. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I found like a modeling agency and then I found there used to be a show called Homicide. Mm-hmm. And it was a big show back mm-hmm. in the day. And I, I believe used to it was, watch it. So they, yeah, it was a good, good show, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did all the filming right here in Baltimore City. Mm. So I sent some pictures into the the uh, casting director Pat Moran was her name and I, you know I didn't hear anything it took a while and then eventually maybe a year later I get this call from this this chick that's on the other line said oh my god we got your pictures and we got people in New York that want you and so uh, you know I was like full of excitement but mm-hmm. you know didn't really know how to take it but I was so excited that somebody finally was paying attention you know yeah and you were younger you know and you I was younger back 20 years yeah yeah, no experience, you know, didn't really understand how the industry worked and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So they ended up, the, the girl did set up an audition for me for the film called Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. So this was 2000. She and I, we go up to Philly, you know, I thought I was going up there for them to see me, like yeah. a, look, a look-see or a go-see. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when I got there, it was actually they had a, a part of the film. They were going back in time and they wanted a young Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. So I went up. I was in the uh, casting director's waiting room. I was so nervous, man. I was scared to death. I mean, my heart was pounding and everybody kept staring at me. And I don't know what they thought I might have been him. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. One guy gets up. He said, dude, I don't mean to keep staring at you, man. He said, but um, the lady you're here to see. I do voiceover for her. So I do a lot of work for this woman. He said, uh, here's my card. I got a, I got an idea. I got a commercial idea for you and I. So I was like, all right, cool, man. So I kept card, whatever. And then they called my name to come back in front of the casting director. So, you know, you go back in her office. She's got her camera set up. Mm-hmm. So immediately, stage fright. Me too. It's oh fucking stage God. fright. I was terrible. It, it, it was scary. And I can read. I can write. 
But, yeah. you know, she handed me a small script and said, read it. And, I, you know, I did the best I could. And um, yeah. she said, all right, we'll be in touch. And then I, you know, kind of walked out of the office like, oh, man, I, I, I think I bombed that. We go back home. A week goes by. Three weeks. They're filming the movie. I never heard oh. anything back from these people. So <laughs> my feelings were hurt. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I, I knew I had a look. I just didn't just didn't know how to go about it. Yeah. It, it was rejection. So I, yeah. I just I, I really kind of felt bad about the whole thing and almost like saying, well, you know, screw this crap. I'm done with it. But it's no, it's tough. I want to say that, you know, rejection is the majority of the times, Eric. And when you're not an actor, it's just kind of like, what? Like, you're not an actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I was a wannabe actor and I was failing. I can't even imagine you where you were coming from. And I had stage fright and so many people do have stage fright. But once you're in it, you can get through it. It's that audition process with that camera in your face and they're judging you for those 55 seconds yeah and yeah. it's a it's a do or die thing and 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 i really think it shuts down a lot of people who are good at certain things right uh right. but it terrifies them i mean it scared you and it scared me and you're a big strong guy and you got scared you're like a like a big teddy bear i i look like i'm confident and then i shrivel up you know like a, like a prune yeah it, it happened to me all the time it's a scary deal to to, to you know for some I can talk to people all day long, but when you yeah. put a camera in their face, it's different. Yeah, it is. You, you know what I'm saying? It, it's funny because the, the the girl that from the modeling age, we saw the movie when it finally came out. She was like, uh -huh. they could have worked with you. Of they could have taken you. It was only a couple second scene. Mm -hmm. You know, Bruce gets, he was in a car accident as a, as a teenager in the movie. Yeah. You know, his shoulder's wounded and he's kind of, you know, limping around and, and holding on to his shoulder. I mean, so it's something that they could have yeah. worked with me, but they didn't. They passed over and, you know, that's the way it goes. So I get a call from that guy that I met in her office. The voiceover guy. The voiceover dude. And this guy impersonates like over a hundred different voices. Wow. So he does a lot of, like I say, commercials for this um, for this woman that he was he was there. We were all there to, to, to meet with that day. Cool thing was he has me come to his place and they, they did a, a six cents commercial. Hmm. So I don't know if you, if you, I'm sure you've probably seen The Sixth Sense. Oh, most, yeah, yeah, most yeah. Most people have. So the funny thing was they brought a boy in that looked just like the kid from the movie. Yeah. And this kid was actually supposed to double the kid in the movie, but some contract stuff fell through. So hmm. he missed out. The famous scene where, you know, the, the boy is kind of um, hiding under the covers. Mm -hmm. And then he finally, you know, kind of wants to tell the doctor what his secret is. So yeah. we shot this commercial and they they pretty much shot my profile and a couple different looks with the camera and um so these two guys we went up to do the commercial with they they were like a spinoff of dan Aykroyd and and steve martin oh my god they, they call themselves a wild and crazy guy <laughs> So the real, real funny two guys, man, they, they did these car commercials. So everybody in that area of New Jersey, Philly, uh -huh. they knew these guys from, oh, wow. you know, from seeing their commercials. So the commercial we did, it airs. The woman, the casting director, she gets on the phone and calls the, the guy up. She's like, oh, my God, I just saw this commercial. Where did you find that guy? The Bruce guy. <laughs> and he said he was right there in your office. And she was like, how the heck did I overlook him? So. 
you know, it was kind of funny how it all started coming back around, um, you know. And then one thing kind of led to another to another with me. I got on uh, HBO's The Wire mm-hmm. um, and then I did a, a few episodes. And, and it's funny because when you you told me I look like a cop, they always they always picked me for a cop. Oh, yeah. You're a dead ringer as a cop. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a couple of times I'm just a regular uniform officer. And then a couple of other times I played like a uh, a, um, a captain or like a high ranking mm-hmm. type of uh, official in the police department. So I worked the wire a couple couple uh, episodes of uh, the second season. And then uh, Ladder 49 came around mm-hmm. with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. John Travolta. Yeah. Um, Robert Big Patrick. movie. Big yeah. movie. Big, big actors. The funny, cool thing about that was I was playing a background. I, you know, it was all background work. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, that's because you weren't a full-on thespian actor. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. Know, so I had to start fine. somewhere. And I learned yes. the ropes and how things worked and just how everybody, who did what, the director, the assistant, the PAs, everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to sit back and kind of take it all in and, and, and see who's who and what's what, you know, and how a movie's made. And you really get that feeling when you're a stand-in more than an extra. You do see it as a, as a background performer, but when you're a stand-in for the stars, as you know, mm-hmm. you really see it from basically the director's uh, view, right. and the cinematographer's right. view, both their views. One right. is the technical side, which would be the, the cinematographer, then the visionary would be the director. So you kind of get both, both sides of it, and you're right in between these guys, and they allow you to go through the scene emotions. Yeah. So that is the perk of being a standing because you really learn about filmmaking. But go on. So you're on on the ladder movie and you're with yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, who I also worked with on 8mm and Mr. JT from Face Off. And, yep. you know, it's it's literally, it's not even six degrees of separation. It's one or two. Two different personalities, but two great actors, man. But anyway, you know, they, they, they had me as a, a wedding guest mm-hmm. um, to Joaquin and his wife. We're in a kind of a small type ballroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have me at this table and John's sitting there, Robert Patrick's sitting there. And I just was already like starstruck. Yeah, it's a big deal. So I'm like looking at John like, man, his eyes are really blue. Like they were on Welcome Back Carter or Barbarino, yeah. his, his his character. You know, uh, Grease and all the films that he was in, man. So it was just really cool to sit there with these guys and just listen to them back and forth and teasing with each other and teasing with the mm-hmm. crew and whatever. So anyway, Robert looked over and John he said John look at this guy man he looks like Willis so I kind of turned away like uh oh Uh oh, I might I might be on to something here. Might <laughs> yeah. might have hooked hooked something here, man. So it was funny, and then all of a sudden, John's you know he starts calling me, "Hey Willis, go." You know, some guys were mm-hmm. you know kind of acting up, messing with each other uh, at a table or two next to, "Hey Willis, get over there and handle my light work for me." You know, so <laughs> it kind of spread around the film set. This dude looks like Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. You know, so they started kind of paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. You know, when they'd send us back to holding you. you remember yeah, them days. Yeah. Oh, I hated those Everybody fucking days. Holding. Yeah, like cattle. That's exactly and shut right. shut up and don't go to the bathroom and don't eat and don't drink coffee. There's nothing left. Yeah, we only had like a, you know, a stale pot of coffee and some waters and maybe some peanuts or whatever, you know what I mean? And yeah, it was the slums. Far from what you and I have enjoyed working with our characters, man. Yeah, with with the A-listers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're... <laughs> 
I call it the A-listers of Hollywood. Ten years I was with, you know, on Cage Wage World. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoying life, man. Yeah, well, they, you know, perky. I was perked up. It's an awesome life. It's it's good, man. And I, I never lost focus or, you know, just to remember where it is I came from. I never thought when I finally did make it with Bruce to working with him in these films, I, I never looked down on those people is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. You know, because without them, you, you, you couldn't make a movie. Yeah. I think that people are recognizing that more. That's where that Hollywood Reporter article came out in the during the Academy of wartime was the largest article in Hollywood history. It was about five pages, six pages of stars with their stand-ins. And it was all because with Jeff Bridges, you know, with his stand-in, when he thanked him when he won the Academy Award this past year, he's been with him like 30 years. And they they can't do it without these guys because they're, you to a certain degree, we're kind of like an anchor. We kind of like help take care of things, make sure that they're safe on set, make sure that people don't bother them, make sure that they, they understand where they're marks are going to be, um, mm-hmm. how the lighting is going to shape their look at times, what angles, what what, what camera lenses are going to be on them. Sometimes they don't know. Right, and sometimes right. you and I will go in and tell them it's a 50 mil lens or where we've got a 150 mil lens. And so they kind of understand that, you know, it's a half body shot or it's a close up or, you know, they just show up to do their scenes. Right. And, you know, we, we kind of like whisper in their ears and kind of let them know. So I, I think that it is a big community effort and the background is, is huge. I mean, you can't do any film any scene without background performers and they're just as good or bad as we are because right. we just got a break they just they didn't get the break it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're not b- better than us you know in terms of their work ethic yeah and i mean i've seen you know you get these these pas of you know people that are in charge of all the background yeah, yeah and you'll see them treat them a certain way and i don't like seeing that kind of stuff it yeah it really pisses me off to see people treating other people that way you know what i'm saying but it was a long journey for me. So what happened on that set? You were there and they're calling you Willis. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it just kind of started spreading like wildfire, man. And then then I met uh, John Standen. He kind of introduced me to Morris Chestnut, uh, Baltasar, Getty, all these different mm-hmm. actors that were on the film. And it was just a real thrill, man. To, and then I, I really felt like I was making that connection that I was so hungry for, but it kind of fizzled out. Yeah. Like you it usually does. It's, yeah. it's a Hollywood moment i was i was kind of promised uh you know a couple of things Mm -hmm. the person didn't come through happens all the time yeah there's another letdown i mean that that one really bothered me for a long time Mm -hmm. i mean i'm not talking about months but maybe a year two three i would kind of from time to time you know just kind of keep rehashing what happened did i do something wrong and it's not you i just want to say right because i had those same insecurities when a lot of shit like that happened to me years and years ago. And I thought, what did I say? What did I do that was wrong? It's not us. It's them. They're crafty human beings. They're very savvy. They're users, a lot of them. But Mm -hmm. we've seen it, and Mm -hmm. I've probably seen more than you have. And it's just, it's it's endless. And it's an endless disappointment. And you just have to move on because you can't change who those people are. They are who they are. And they work this this avenue because they're empty inside and they don't really give a shit about anything but their moments in glory. And we're just trying to keep up and have a job. That's it. That's right. Like I said, once again, I felt like, you know what? F this stuff, man. I'm done with it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I get so close. I've had, you know, I had people telling me, man, you get so close. You, you, you know, you get to the door, but you don't get in. Just, mm-hmm. just give up. Just give it up. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think you're right. Screw this crap. And then we ju- 
jump in the car, go up to the store, and then I'd start hearing it all over again. You know yeah. who you look like? Anybody ever told you who you look like? Yeah. <laughs> so then it starts fanning the flames again, man. So anyway, the latter film, it was a great film. We went to the um premiere. Yeah. You know, I had a couple of quick shots on the wire and but nothing like this, you know, in a in a big time movie. And then I you know, the Hollywood reporter, I, I started getting the magazine. So you'd see all these movies. Mm-hmm. Which, give you the whole production. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, month, yeah. I loved it. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that was back then. Then. Right. Then you, and you would take your photograph and you'd submit your photo and resume to what you thought you could be good for in terms of a stand-in or something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I did the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you and I got similar background, man. Yeah, um, in that respect. I wonder if there are others. I mean, I'm not sure if there are others, but that Hollywood Reporter, I did the same thing. And you submit the photographs and you're just trying to get in there. And to me, nobody bit. Uh, but for you, tell me about your story. Well, basically, I was stalking Bruce, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I well, mean, it worked and, and, and it worked in a yeah. nutshell, man. I was uh, we didn't have the Internet where you could just punch his name up and yeah. it would tell you every little thing about him. You know, you you get the magazine. That, that's really the only way you could find out about this guy. I saw a film called Hostage. I think it was 2004 is when they were going to start production on this film. So I sent an eight by ten. I yeah. got a call. Actually, I sent an eight by ten into the casting office. I get a call from the casting office in L.A. Mm -hmm. So this guy calls me and he's like, um, hey, where are you? Well, I'm in Maryland. Where are you? He said, well, we'd like to meet you. We'd like to have you come into the office and we think you'd be really good as Bruce's stand-in, photo double, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, all right, well, cool. Um, I'm on the East Coast, um, so I'm going to have to fly across country to you guys. So I forked mm -hmm. out my own money, jumped on a plane. Wow. I fly all the way out to L.A. It does sound like a stocking story think about it like it, in today's world like 2019 they would have you arrested just for thinking that way is that funny because it's such a pc it's, fucking it, world yeah now. yeah, you're yeah right. but you were just doing it innocently like you know i'm really good as this bruce willis guy so you're flying out there i would have done it except it never you know i didn't have to but i i probably would have done the same thing and so would 98 percent of them if you want to get anywhere you got to be persistent yeah you got to be persistent because i mean i'm speaking for myself a lot of times I got so close and yeah. I don't care what it is in life, whatever it is you dream to do, aspire to do, whatever it is, mm -hmm. if that's what you want to do with all your heart, go for it. Because, you know, I mean, it was my dream. It wasn't anybody else's dream. Yes. And I just kept pursuing. And like I said, a couple close calls. So you flew out there. Yeah, I fly out. And it's funny because I called the guy. The guy's like, well, we're not going to be able to meet with you today. He was supposed to meet with me over at the studio, Raleigh Studio. Studios, which is yeah. next to Paramount. You know where I'm yes. talking about. Yeah, on the south side. Yeah, so I get there and the guy's like, well, we're not going to be able to meet with you. And I was like, dude, I just flew five hours in an airplane. Somebody's going to meet with me. <laughs> and he's like, well, you don't want to piss them people off or you won't get the job. And I was like, all right. End the conversation. I just hung the phone up, jumped in the car. <laughs> I didn't didn't have GPS on my phone. I kind of had yeah. to read a map. Yeah. Back in the day, I mean, or stop and say, hey, you know where so-and-so is? And you, they say, yeah, two blocks, whatever, whatever. I found my way over to the studio studio 
parked the car, jumped out, walked across the street up to the guard shack. And uh, the guy was like, hey, how you doing, man? Who, who are you uh, here to see? And I said, well, I'm here to see such and such for the film Hostage. He said, hang on just a second, and I'll call up there and see if they'll see you. So while I was standing there, you know, they, they got all the uh, sound stages. Yeah. Right there. And yeah, and they're working away outside. Guys are working, man, not paying any attention to anybody, but whatever it is they're doing. And then a couple of them looked over and they said, hey, Bruce. So they mm. saw me from afar and they thought I was Bruce. So I kind of gave them a wave and I thought to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into this office today. <laughs> it sounds like such a great stalker <laughs> story. It just does. But it was so innocent in pursuit of a job and nothing more. That That's it, man. So the guard says, hey, they want you to come up, take the elevator, go up to the second floor, make a right. And the guy's office will be on the left. I go upstairs and I walk in and, you know, there's three ADs sitting at their desk. And I walk in and they have my eight by 10 picture on the bulletin board next to Bruce's picture. Wow. So the guy said, oh, hey, man, I know you. We, we got your picture right here. You know, they introduced me to everybody. This is so-and-so. And, hey, let me take you around the corner and meet the director and blah, blah, blah. And so I was just excited that I finally got my, felt yeah. like I was getting my foot in the door. So the guy said, come on, man, come on out in the hallway. We'll talk about your schedule. And Bruce shoots 28 days. And I think he said half of it's going to be in this part of California. The other part of it will be in Semi Valley and blah, blah, blah. And so anyway, we were finishing up our conversation. And then I heard somebody come off the elevator and it mm -hmm. was Bruce himself. <laughs> he shows Just like up, in the movies. He shows up. <laughs> popped out of nowhere. I, and the guy, the director looked at me and was like, oh my God, what What are the flipping chances of you showing up? Bruce showing up. So Bruce comes in. He's real cool, man. He just, hey, how you doing? Shakes my hand. And there he goes into the uh, the director's yeah. office. So the, the guy, the, the AD and I look at each other like, dude, this is friggin' crazy, man. Mm -hmm. You know? So I thought for sure that this was my ticket. Yeah. Anyway, the guy tells me, listen, go get some rest. Give me a call in the morning. We'll talk more about your schedule. So I find my way over to the hotel. Mm -hmm. I was beat, you know, jet lagged and then all the commotion. and The excitement of it, all the thrill, the idea that you actually walked onto a studio set, just like in the movies. How did you do that? You know, that's, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's fucking ballsy, you know, to, to go in and, and they accepted you and you walked into it. You know, today they would have armed guards pushing you back. Yeah. Yeah. Throw them in jail and, you know, yeah. mug shot, fingerprinted and all that mess. Mm -hmm. So I called the guy the next day and he said, dude, he said, man, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but the director, he said, he's going to go with his guy. And I was like, well, what do you mean his guy? He said, I don't, I don't understand it. He said, the guy doesn't look anything like Bruce. Hmm. He said, but he's a friend of the directors. And so the director had his buddy, somebody he probably has worked with in the past and is used to his work ethic. Exactly. So mm -hmm. I, there's some more rejection that came my way, man. Yeah. So I jumped back on the plane, flew home, basically saying, you know, I'm done. I give it up. I'm finished. It is what it is. I tried. I gave it all that I had. And, you know, I can't do any more. I can't make somebody choose me to be able to work with him as his stand in. So probably another year and a half went by about 2006. I got wind of Die Hard 4 mm -hmm. coming to Baltimore. Wow. So How, what were the chances? So it, it was crazy. Yeah. So we had I had a little Internet access then. Uh -huh. So I quickly emailed a picture into the casting agent. And uh, within a half an hour, I got a phone call. Wow. 
Wow. She's like, oh my God, where are you? I said, I'm in Columbia. She said, well, we'd like for you to come down for a screen test. I said, just tell me when and where I'm there. So mm-hmm. I show up and of course I'm scared because it, it might have been like two or three other ball headed guys that showed up for the yeah. same role. So I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, well, he don't look like Bruce. And then I looked at this guy and eh, maybe a little bit for him. I went in wardrobe. They dressed me up in what they wanted to see me in. Mm-hmm. The wardrobe woman says, sweetheart, you got the job hands down. I didn't say anything to her. She just gave me that news. So I was thinking, oh my God, I hope she's I hope she's right. I go in front of the camera. They let the other two guys go. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yes, I got it. Finally. <laughs> so the funny thing was one of the assistant directors mm-hmm. two years ago was on that film Hostage. He was on Die Hard 4. Wow. A guy by the name of Mark Catone. Mm-hmm. Really nice dude. I've worked with him on a lot of projects since. Anyway, he's a dude. I remember you, man. I remember you. He said, you get, you're going to get the job this time. So I got the job, man. It was off the hook. It was the most amazing feeling. The first week we shot in Baltimore City. Long hours. Of you, course. You know the drill. Treacherous. Uh, everybody Ridiculous else, hours. Yeah. Everybody else goes home. You're still there. Yeah. Day and night, day and night. Photo double, standing in, insert shots, driving shots. You're the guy over and over and over again. Yeah. You're their bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but I was I was fine with being their bitch this time. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, you were waiting to be their bitch. Yeah. Their bitch. It took me a while to be become somebody's yeah. bitch, but <laughs> yeah, I was more of a diva than a bitch. Okay. Even though I was, you know, I was kind of a bitch at the beginning, but I was like, I ended up being Shasha Gabor by the end of it. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love your story, man. Love your story. The biggest time that I got to work with Bruce on the shoot mm-hmm. was my mom was a big fan of mine, and she loved the fact that I did some Willis uh, lookalike gigs and she had always hoped that I would get that opportunity to work with Bruce. She loved Bruce, mm-hmm. you know, from the moonlighting days. Oh, and, that was a great show. Yeah. The That's women. when I loved him. Yeah. Who didn't love Bruce Willis he and was moonlighting? He smooth, smooth dude, man. Yeah. Good looking cat, yeah. you know. All Super the women charming. Yeah. He's still charming. Yes, he is. The coolest thing for me, my mom ended up passing away mm-hmm. uh, in at the end of 2004. So she never got to see me work with Bruce. So 2006 rolls around. We're shooting Die Hard down in the middle of Baltimore City. The place is going bananas because everybody Mm -hmm. wants to see Bruce. You know, it's during lunchtime hours. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people hanging out of buildings on each street corner. Of course, you do everything your your character does. Yeah. Lie on the pavement, sit in the car, sweat in the car, drive the car, lie in a pool of blood, whatever he does you do that's it and i was happy to do it so yeah. this this one particular scene there's an accident where this great big trash truck runs into this car in front of bruce's police car so he's got to jump out of the car run around jump on the hood and you know he's standing there and he's looking down the street trying to figure out which is the best route to get this kid out of danger so i'm standing on the roof of this car cameras cranes with can all kinds of craziness helicopters, the news, people taking photographs. And all I could do was look over top of all these hundreds of people that were around me Mm -hmm. and just think to myself, dude, 
dude, you finally made it. You finally mm-hmm. made it after all that up and down, you know, close calls, a lot of rejection. You finally did it, you know. And then I was thinking about my mom. So I got very emotional mm-hmm. on top of this car. Maybe got a little teary eyed thinking about how happy she would have been, you know, that I finally got that opportunity. It, it was crazy, man. And, you know, you spent 10 years with Nick. Yeah. When I got in with Bruce, we shot like two weeks in Baltimore and D.C. Yeah. And then they they all wrapped up and went back to L.A. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call from the uh, production office telling Bruce liked me so much. He was he wanted me. Yeah. He wanted me to come back to L.A. with. And mm-hmm. the problem was I had finally got that opportunity to work with. But the situation I was in was I was a single father at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was raising two of my three kids. My oldest was already out on her own. So my kids were living with me and my girlfriend, my wife now. But So I had to make a choice, leave the kids with a woman that's not their mom so I could go fulfill my dream. So basically, I chose my kids yeah, because they were more important to me than working in the film industry yes. and leaving home. So yeah, the one of the directors said, dude, he was going to keep you, man. Yeah, He was going to keep you with anything. And at, at that time, he was doing mm-hmm. like, you know, like what Nick he was, was doing. Yeah, he was he was top of his game at the time. That's a very tough decision to make because I'm going to say that most people would just say, listen, let's pack it up and let's go to LA and see what happens and, and then, and you know, rent a little place. But you can't uproot the kids. So you would really have to say, you know, I'm going to leave them with the girlfriend or, you know, some relatives and stuff. But the kids would sit there and say, are you crazy? Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. a very bizarre situation to be in. If you lived in LA where most people do live, it's not a big deal. Right, right. But because you live where you lived, um, it was, you had to make that family choice and you lost, who knows what would have happened, but what would you do with the kids? You would eternally feel guilty. Yeah. And uh, my family means more to me than any fame, fortune. You know, yes. I, I, like I said, I'm a down to earth guy. I love my family. Mm-hmm. Um, they come before anything like that does. Th- this happens to different people though, Eric. There are, there are people where stars meet their, their, their kind of like their doubles in different cities, but they're rooted in their cities. Yeah. Whether it's Chicago, whether it's Cleveland, Baltimore, people are rooted. I remember hearing different stories when, when they came here in Toronto and they met their, their perfect stand-in or double and wanted them to fly out, but they couldn't because they had a life and were rooted. I wasn't rooted. I was I lived in my city, uh-huh. but I didn't have anybody. I didn't have a family or I wasn't attached. So when Nick said, dude, why don't you come to New York to the next film? I said, yes. I didn't really have a job and I and I picked up and, and you know, I was out of the apartment and then back again. So it wasn't right. a big deal. Right. I wasn't leaving right. people behind like you would have been. So, and that's where, and that that's where it evolved to this craziness. Whereas I'm going to guess the same craziness would have happened to you. You would have been on tour, I call it, for about a decade or 15 years and probably made a very good living because it's very consistent. And then the finances go up and, you know, they really take care of you after a while. Right, right. But you were in a different situation. Yeah, I was. I mean, you know, I was on this film. I didn't get to finish it. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a bittersweet type thing for me. Yes. You know, that I did make it finally to be able to work with him on these films. I have all these years of trying to get in with him. So for the next 10 years, I walked yeah. around still with a some unsettled business. And so I had my photo with Bruce. Yeah. I took that picture with him in front of the uh, the Baltimore Sun building when he was rapping mm-hmm. um, the last night we filmed. So that was like kind of like a trophy for me. Yeah. And for me too. And I had done that, of course, because 
because we don't come from those film worlds, you and I. You know, these guys are superstars, Cage and Willis. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. wow, I'm going to have a photograph with the guy I was working with and doubling. And how exciting is that? It, it was awesome, man. I mean, mm-hmm. just and the, that he was kind enough to take a picture with. So yeah. he told me I did a good job. I never really had much conversation with him, and that's cool. Yeah. But I made a mark. Oh, let me back up. While I was filming Die Hard with him, the, the again, the, the news, the press, they were everywhere. So these people came up to me and they're like, we want to get your picture. Bruce's PR people said, Bruce said, just let him have the picture. Yeah. So they did. They got their picture. And kind of funny, I got a call from a reporter uh, like after one of the days of filming. He called me like mm-hmm. at night and he said, hey, man, we want to do an interview with you. I said, all right, cool. No problem. Since Bruce people yeah. allowed it, man, I got up the next morning, mm-hmm. went up to a store up the street before I headed down to the film set. And right on the front page of the paper is my picture wow. next, next to Bruce's picture. How funny. On the Baltimore Sun, which is like the big paper yeah. up there where you're at or the Washington yeah. Post. Or, of course. And do, I, I mean, it, it was crazy. You know, then my family found out about it. They were buying all these newspapers up and mm-hmm. it was so cool. And of course, Bruce saw the paper. He knew what he had with yeah. me. So, I mean, he, he wanted to keep me. But, you know, again, I had to make a decision. Yeah. So 10 years went by. And again, I had that unfinished business. So Bruce keeps a tight circle. You're not just going to pick up your phone and dial his number or dial anybody's number that you Mm -hmm. think might be connected with. You're not going to do it. It doesn't work that way. You can be ballsy to do it, but it doesn't work that way. I feel the same way with obviously Cage and and other stars. And I I would never do it in a million years. You always wait for them to call or you call their assistants. Usually you go through the assistants, the, 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 trainer, the agent, but you never really call them. It's a little intrusive. Right, right. So anyway, thanks to Facebook years later and keeping up with Bruce's stunt guy at the time, I was able to get a hold of Bruce's assistant and Bruce's assistant is his best friend. So I was able to contact him. I sent him a message. I said, hey man, do you remember me? Maybe a few minutes later. I never forgot you. Yeah, I remember you. So I told Mm -hmm. him I'm available now, man. My kids are grown up. You know, they've all moved on and I'm available. Probably a month or two later, I got a message. We got something for you. I've actually worked a few films and a rack of commercials with Bruce since then. You know, it started out just as a dream for me to just stand in photo double for the guy. And next thing you know, I'm flying to Rome first Mm -hmm. class. I'm flying to Spain. I'm going to Montreal, Canada to work Death Wish. I'm Mm -hmm. doing all these projects with him. And it just turned out to be so much more than I ever thought it would be, man. It is, because what you're seeing, what you're doing now is what I had done over those years. And if you had, you know, gone and finished those films and continued with him, and, you know, I'm not sure what would have happened with the kids, but if you had done that for the last 15 years, this is what you would have been doing and living, you know, in in these nice hotels and flying to Europe and, you know, everything's first class because that's how I ended up living. That's what I call it on cage wage. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was was just funny because it just happens that way and you get all these, you know, these huge perk packages uh, because they're such stars, but you've got to be dedicated to the star as well and and work hard with him in his best interest in character, on camera, and um, correspond and, and and work well with the director and cinematographer and the rest of the crew. You yeah, know? Because that's, that's that's most of it. Because if you turn out to be that dick, they're not interested. You know, your boss hears about it. Uh-huh. That's right. That's exactly so, right. So I've always tried to be a nice dude mm-hmm. to to 
anybody and everybody, unless you act like a dick to me, then, you know, it's, then it's mm-hmm. something different. But so I always kept professional on the set, always tried to do my best. And, and one thing led to another. I, the work just kept coming. You know, Bruce's mm-hmm. guy came, hey, we got you in for 10 commercials with Bruce. And, you know, you're going to be going to Miami. You're going to be going to New York. We're going over, you know, to Rome. I mean, these places I've only dreamed about going. Of course. Yeah, it's insane. And, you know, he likes to work like a lot of other actors, only he's on a different plateau than Nick right now. Nick's uh, in a different zone. Yeah. Uh, But Bruce is still on the commercial side of things. Nick is much more on the independent side of things at this time. Right. So there's a, a bigger perk package with Bruce Willis at this time versus Nick. Yeah, yeah. It's it's different. But uh, and what you're are you going off to a film this summer? Yeah, I have something coming up next month. Still waiting for some call from from one of the producers. Puerto Rico. Never been there. Never been there either. So Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it, man. You know, I I just I'm I feel blessed. I know I am to mm-hmm. to have the opportunities. Everybody that knows me or people I run into that. They just love the story. They love to hear who you've worked with, what you've done. So I had an idea of doing something kind of similar to what you have coming Mm -hmm. up. You know, just telling my story. Yeah. How I started and where I ended up. And I I think you you should, Eric. And and this is the time where the people behind the scenes are kind of getting a little more credit. Hollywood, is since the Me Too movement kicked in, there's a lot more sympathy for people with with an unrecognizable occupation within the film business and people are paying attention and it just happens to be at this time and that's when I you know was going to shoot the film and now I've got the book and so forth and it's a lot of work to get it together but they're good stories yeah and they're interesting yeah. stories and it it focuses on the behind the scenes more than than anything well that's how we found you the Statham lookalike he found you and then he saw mm-hmm. that you had a short doc you've done and so I looked you up and I appreciate you uh connecting with me you know and oh you're welcome and I love your story, dude. And I love Nicolas Cage, man. Yeah. I love that dude, man. I'd like to meet him one time if you can make that happen. Well, yeah. but I'm sure at some point I'm going to bump into him and yeah. see him again. You know, yeah. he's, you know, they're very professional when they're on set like uh, like like Bruce is. Oh, yeah. But offset, Nick is an extremely generous human being like Bruce. Uh, I'd met Bruce only once, but uh, at Cage's house, bizarrely enough. But he's a giver. Uh, he doesn't talk about it much, meaning Cage, but he's an actual give, give, giver. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So not only the charities, but his family and everybody around him. Anybody who works for him, he's going to get. Yeah, he makes yeah. sure that everybody's taken care of. Because he knows how hard you're working. You're just not the star, but you're working just as hard. Right. And he appreciates that. And I think Bruce does as well with his people. Um, he's a down-to-earth guy. Bruce is from New Jersey, isn't he? Isn't Willis from New Jersey? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like how, if he's got to be down-to-earth. Like, nobody's snobby in New Jersey. No, <laughs> he, he's a hard-working, just a, a tough dude, man. But like I said, I've always been a fan of cages it's funny i'll go back real quick the one of the films i worked on was called a shot in the heart it was mm-hmm. an hbo film and um they positioned me at a bar sitting next to giovanni rabisi i was a big fan of his and anything that i've i've seen him do i saw him in gone in 60 seconds and that i started looking at him like man i know this guy from somewhere and i had just seen the film with nick yeah. cage and i liked everything that guy was in man good actor yeah he is just and and this is Willis. So, Eric, I want to thank you, first of all, for being uh, on the show and for sharing your side of the story from where you came from and where you are today and how you were dedicated to your family and then uh, went back to the film 
business. And I think that they recognize that family was most important and they respect that. And then they brought you back. I think that goes a long way. So good yeah. on you for that. Man, I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to come on and chat with you and yeah. share my story and hopefully it inspires somebody. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing your projects come to full, man. Really, really looking forward to seeing the documentary and, and reading your book. I will. We'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch with this stuff and, and we'll be connecting more often regarding other projects as well. But this is just a beginning. It just kind of, and it's a good, because I've never had somebody of this caliber of like uh, the caliber that I was in with Cage to be on here. And you're much more humble than I am. As I said, I'm quite the diva, but uh, <laughs> you know, you're a nice, normal guy. I was like, fuck. Hey, don't, don't get me wrong, man. I, the, the, <laughs> the treatment is nice. It really yeah, is no, nice. it's nice, but you know, I, I I kind of like take it to different levels. So it is very nice. Yeah, well, they would come over. Hey, can we get you? Listen, I can get up and walk over and get my own drink. Um, but yeah. if you want to get me a drink, I'll take one. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I cross my legs in the chair and I'm like, sure, <laughs> no sugar, please. <laughs> yeah, I know you're still humble. So Eric, I want to thank you for for being on the show, and uh, we'll talk soon. I appreciate your story. We'll talk later. Thank you. Hey, thanks again. Man. This concludes our conversation with Eric Barcade, Bruce Willis, his stand-in and photo double. Until next time, this is Marco Kira signing off. Yeah.